Masechet Nedarim, Daf Pechet. We begin with an interesting Mishnah that teaches, Yodea ani sheyesh nedarim, aval en yodea sheyesh mefirin yafer. A husband hears his wife makes a vow. However, uh, he doesn't know the laws of, uh, of hafarat nedarim. And so he's upset. His wife said, I'm not going to drink wine. He is upset about that, but he didn't know this halacha. He missed that day in school, so he didn't know that he can nullify it. However, later on, he does dafyomi. He learns masechet nedarim. He says, "Oh, that vow that she made oh, some weeks ago. I now I know I can nullify it. How can I nullify it now?" So the law is. Because he says, um, I knew that there was such a thing as nedarim. I know she that she made a neder and it's binding, but I didn't know I had the power to nullify it. I was totally ignorant about it. Therefore, on the day that I heard that she had a vow, the fact that I did not nullify it, my silence was not evidence that I agreed to it and wanted it to be ratified by the end of the day. It was a sign of nothing. So therefore, yafed, everyone agrees on this point. There's no machloket on the day that he hears about it, on the day that he learns this halacha, that will be considered the day that he hears about it. And he says, oh, I just learned this halacha. I never wanted her to make that vow. He can nullify it there and then. Okay, so the first case we're considering a case of total ignorance, that he just, just doesn't know this law at all. However, the second case is subject to machloket. If he says, I know the law of nullifying, I knew all about that. However, when she she said a certain formula, I didn't know that that was officially a neder. Right? She didn't use the normal, full, regular formula. She used uh, some kind of a kinoi or some kind of unusual formula. And he didn't know. Now, this case is uh, is only partial ignorance, right? Because he knew he had some idea that she made some kind of commitment that uh, you know I'm not going to drink wine, even if she said it, and not in the in the formula that he was used to. So he could have went and asked uh, a sage. Hey, my wife said it in this formula. Is that considered a vow? Do I have to nullify it? Do I not? Do I not have to nullify it? So this is considered more like partial ignorance. Therefore, the Bimeir says, no, lo yafir. Sorry, you lost your chance. On the day that you heard her say that whatever fuzzy formula it was, you knew there was something up, there was something suspicious, you should have went and checked it out. If you didn't, you lost your chance. So partial ignorance is not a good excuse. The Bimeir would agree with the first uh, uh, case. Total ignorance is a good excuse, but not partial. Chamim said, no, in this case also, you can nullify it. Even partial ignorance is considered a good excuse. And it says, well, you didn't know that. It was a, uh, um, a vow on that day. So the fact that you were quiet, that's not because you, li- you wanted it. You just didn't think that you had to do anything because you didn't think it was a vow. Okay, good. So that's the that's the two opinions here. And now we're going to uh, challenge actually both of them from the following case, following Baraita. What do you mean who? Belo reot perat le soma tevre de biuda. Rabbi Meir omer le rabot et ha soma. Okay, a totally different context. It does not seem to be very closely rela- related, but it also has to do with ignorance. And we're talking about a case of someone who uh, pushes 
uh, an item without malice um, and it hits a victim unintentionally or a stone that causes death this is the key phrase here without seeing and it fell on someone and the person dies but he did not have a grudge against him before there's no reason to, to think that he had a motive and so obviously it was a mistake right so this guy was uh was walking up on the roof and he uh, pushed off a stone and didn't realize that there was someone underneath so it, this person is uh well he was ignorant he didn't know there was someone but it's uh you could say it's partial ignorance because you should have looked right i mean make sure uh, uh check if there's anybody there before you go and push a stone okay so because he didn't do it on purpose if it was on purpose, then it would be bemezid. Then he would deserve capital punishment. If, on the other hand, it was a total mistake um, when, with zero negligence, right? The person was doing everything perfectly fine and just like out of complete uh, um, thin air, uh, something crazy happened. That person would be honest. Honest. Uh, would not have to go to Ir Miklat, would not have to go to the city of refuge, right? So this halacha is talking about an in-between case of shogeg. The person did something. Right, he did. He did push a a rock off the roof, so he knew that he was doing that. He just didn't think that there was anybody underneath, uh, and therefore he is partially responsible. He has to go to Ir Miklat. All right, that's the normal case. Now the word Belodeot, We're trying to the machloket now is going to be what about a blind person? Is a blind person considered the same uh, or not? Maybe you'll say a blind person is like honest because he did not have the ability to look down and see if there's anybody there. And therefore, the blind person who pushes the rock is off the hook, doesn't even have to go to the city of refuge. Or do we say even a blind person has to take precautions? Go ask someone, can you look for me? Or try to hear, use his other senses. Or don't uh, throw things on the roof, off the roof. Um, you know, don't put yourself in that kind of circumstance. So that's going to be uh, the subject of the machloket here. So there's this word, beloreot, um, Rabbi Yehuda says, this comes to exclude a blind person. A blind person does not go to city of ref refuge. They're totally off the hook. Uh, so um, uh, there, therefore, we see that uh, a person of total ignorance, off the hook. Rabbi Meir, however, says that even though the blind person is totally ignorant and there's no way he could have looked, nevertheless, he is included in this law and he does have to uh, go to the city of refuge. Even he, um, even though he's totally ignorant, he could have done something or other and he, he's uh, considered the same as Shogeg. Okay, now this is going to be the point of uh, controversy uh, or, or challenge, contradiction. What do you mean, no? Rabbi Meir um, says, on the one hand, if it's total ignorance, that's the first case, then he agrees that that's a good excuse. But partial ignorance, um, because uh, he just doesn't, he knew this was some kind of uh, commitment, but didn't know that it was a, a neder, that's only partial ignorance, then that's not considered an excuse, and he, that's it, he lost his chance. So Rabbi Meir does make a distinction between total ignorance and partial ignorance. Yet, in this paraita, the Rabbi Meir does not make any distinction, and he says whether a person has sight or they're blind, meaning whether they are um, has uh, 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 has sight means partially ignorant, or blind is total ignorance. 
He says they're both responsible. And so in the case of um, parsh, of uh, total ignorance, um, and um, over here he says you are responsible, even though blind, even though you're blind and you're totally ignorant about it, nevertheless, you're responsible to the extent that you have to go to a city of refuge. And uh, yet, um, in this case, the first one, when uh, the person was totally ignorant because he didn't know even the laws of uh, of um, of uh, of nullification, he is considered off the hook, right? That's considered a good excuse, and you can annul it later. So we have a problem between the first statement and this statement of Rabbi Meir. Now, for the Biuda, there are some Rishonim that try to find a contradiction between the Biuda and the opinion of Chachamim, which would include the Biuda. Uh, however, I think that that, uh, that those commentaries are difficult, and instead we should follow the Rashba, who says that the contradiction here is only between the Meir and the Mishnah. Um, because Rabbi Yudah and Chachamim are actually quite consistent. They say in every single case that um, ignorance, any type of ignorance, is a good excuse, right? Whether you didn't know the whole law at all, you can, it's okay, it's a good excuse. Or you didn't know this was a vow, good excuse, you can nullify it later. Or someone who was uh, blind, good excuse, and you don't have to go to a, a city of refuge. Okay. Uh, the reason that is pushing, that, that pushes somebody Shonim to say Rabbi Yudah is in contradiction is because in the answer that we're about to read, it does give an explanation for Rabbi Yehuda. However, uh, it could be that this explanation for Rabbi Yehuda is just setting up uh, the answer for Rabbi Meir to show how both of them will uh, interpret the uh, this pasuk. Okay, so here we go. Here's the answer. Amarava. Each one, each context is being read on its own within the context of that verse, and therefore. Um, they're actually uh, reading the case of the blind person as an exception to whatever rule there is. So it really doesn't matter what they say in general about partial and total negligence. Um, and they would still say their opinion uh, about the blind person because of the way the Pasuk has, uh, reads as follows. Uh, so regarding someone uh, who's a murderer, and says someone who comes in the forest um, with his neighbor to uh, to hew down wood. This pasuk is also about someone who's killed b'shogeg, but is from Sefer Devarim. Uh, so the other law, not b'midbar, um, but it has a similar um, uh, a, a, a similar law, but it gives it different examples. It says someone, a man goes with another fellow into the forest to cut down wood, and he swings his axe to cut down the tree, and the axe handle flies, the axe head flies off the handle, and strikes the other, so he dies. So this is uh, negligent, is into it on purpose, but he should have checked his tools first, and therefore he has to go to the city of refuge. So noticing this uh, setup here, why not just say he's cutting down wood? What is this that he comes with his friend into the forest? Why do you have to tell this whole story about that? Uh, so we learn, Anyone can go into a forest. Even a blind person can go into a forest. He's going with his friend, right? That's totally fine. Viyama. Uh, so this. So therefore, those words are coming to include uh, a blind person, and maybe he wants to come, and he's going to cut down wood also, right? With uh, uh, maybe a little help, but he can figure it out, and he'll be able to cut down wood. So that's how we know it from Devarim that it includes a blind person. And if you say, which is what Abimeir says, 
that uh, the, the word Lore'ot in, in Bemidbar is coming to include a blind person, well then I wouldn't need Belore'ot because I already know from the forest that blind people go into the forest to cut down wood, so I already would know it. Therefore says, that's why I know that Belore'ot is actually coming to exclude a blind person because um, it's kind of, you know, backwards. Uh, this thinking, because I have a pasuk in Devarim that includes a blind person, so this ambiguous pasuk in uh, Bemidbar uh, that says, uh, and we don't know, does that mean that he didn't look or he cannot look? It must be, it's talking about a case that he cannot look, and if he cannot see, if a blind person therefore does not, right? Because I have another pasuk that includes him, this pasuk must, must exclude him. That's why I excluded the blind person. All right, now for the Bime, for the Biuda, happens to be that it fits with the opinion of Chachamim that um, uh, total negligence or partial negligence, uh, well, here, some has total negligence uh, here and total negligence in the Mishnah, uh, both get the person off the hook. It is a good excuse, so it's consistent anyway. Um, now, the Bimeir, that's why we really need this, Sabar Ketib Bibli'dat. So in the Pasuk, again, it says, uh, He goes and kills someone unwittingly, without knowledge. So what did we learn from there? That's the, that means that anyone who's capable of knowing the danger that's involved. But a blind person is not capable of knowing that there's someone walking underneath the roof. Since there's no possibility of him knowing, therefore, he is off the hook. He doesn't have to go to a city of refuge. That's what I would say if I had only Sefer Devarim. However, and if you, if you say, which is what Abiyuda says, that the words and Bemidbar come to exclude a blind person, he doesn't, he's off the hook totally, then why would I need those words in Devarim? I already know that. Therefore, I, that's how I derive that the words actually come to include a blind person and say, sorry, even though you're blind and just total ignorance, nevertheless, you're included, you have to call killed someone, and you are, um, and you are therefore responsible. So even someone who is totally ignorant is responsible. Oh, so why, why, why should that be? Even though in the Mishnah they said otherwise, a total ignorant person in the beginning of the Mishnah is not is not responsible because this is a gezerat hakatuv. This pasuk goes out of its way. There's actually two pasukim that work hand in hand, and uh, from the combination of them, although one pasuk says what you would expect. Uh, that the uh, blind person should be excluded, but the other pasuk comes to say, I'm sorry, we're including the blind person. In general, you're right, but this is an exception, and that's how we solve the problem of Rebbe Meir. All right, and now next Mishnah. Someone makes a vow against his son-in-law, I'm not going to give my son-in-law anything, but he does want to help out his poor daughter. This is like, uh, you know, Kalba Sabuha, who, uh, ex- who uh, excommunicates, who takes a vow against the Akiva. He doesn't like his son-in-law, but he still later on may feel bad about his daughter, that she's so poor. And so what can the father do to support his daughter uh, without, with, uh, uh, without violating the vow? The problem is that 
um, a wife, her her hand is considered like the husband's. Right? We saw that before. And so anything that she acquires automatically goes to the husband's account. And so then that would violate the vow. By giving it to her, it's the same as giving it to the husband. So what can a father do to help out his daughter in such a case? So as to say, this kind of long statement it has two parts to it, and we're going to discuss the relationship between the parts. He says, um, this, this money is, uh, is given to you as a gift uh, with the condition that uh, your husband has no rights to it. That's part one. Okay, so I'm giving it to you and make sure, right, provided that he has no rights. If the husband takes it, then it's not yours to begin with, then it was not a gift. But uh, that seems to be not sufficient. He also, he also has to say, um, uh, whatever you take with it and put in your mouth, then that then it'll be yours. In other words, uh, this gift will work by you're holding the money, that's still mine, when you go and buy some food with it and put the food in your mouth, only at that moment, then the gift kicks in. So that way, it's yours when it's or when the food's already in your mouth. And that's why the husband has no access to it because she's already, uh, she's already eating it. It sounds like she can only use it to buy food and the, and the gift only kicks in when she eats that food. Okay, so now, what's the relationship between these two statements? Does one work without the other? Rav says, yes. It only works if he says, both of these statements, this is a gift to you that won't go to your husband, and it will kick in when you eat something. You have to say both of those statements. But if he simply says, here, this is a gift to you, use it however you please, in that case, sorry, the husband gets it, right? He has to be very specific um, because otherwise if it's a general use item and it's, it's, it's hers uh, from now to use however she wishes, then this doesn't work. It goes to the husband. Okay. Whereas Shemuel says, no, no, this was giving an example here, but... Uh, in fact, as long as the as the father says, right, this is uh, your, yours as a gift on condition that your husband doesn't get it and you can use it however you want. The husband does not get it, right? And you do, don't, don't need to say the entire second formula exactly as it is here. All right, so now, Matkif La Rabbi Zera. And we're going to challenge the opinion of Rav, um, who says that uh, um, that uh, she has to actually get it into her mouth before the uh, before she acquires that gift. And if it's a judge a general gift, then her hand is like her husband. That's what we're going to challenge. From uh, needs a couple of steps to fill out this challenge. According to whose opinion would this statement of Rav be? Well, it would be according to the Bimeir, who said the hand of a wife is like her, her, her husband's hand. Now, Bimeir actually said his statement regarding a slave, that the hand of a slave is like the master's. Whatever a slave acquires goes to the, goes to the master. And um, uh, where um, uh, I, I know, unfortunately, comparing a slave to a wife. But anyway, that's the 
um, that, that's the halakha according to this interpretation, that um, the wife is the same thing. Whatever a wife gets is going to go to her husband. Therefore, the wife cannot own the, the money in her hand at any point. It has to be that she's holding it and buys food. And once the food is in her mouth, then, only, then, uh, does, uh, only then does she acquire that gift. Otherwise, it won't work. Okay, so this is following the opinion of the Bimeir. Or the mean to, here's the problem. We have a contradiction from a Mishnah in Eruvin. Kesad Mishtatifin Bemavoy. Manich Techavit Vomerhare Leze Lechol Bene Mavoy. Mezakelahem Ayede Avdo Vishifrato Hebrim, Vayede Beno Bito Hagedolim, Ve Alyede Ishto. Mishnah in Eruvin says, How does it work to merge alleyways together? If on Shabbat, um, you have people that live in multiple alleyways, and all the alleyways, um, uh, as, uh, courtyards, multiple courtyards. You have one courtyard here, another one here, or another one here. And uh, the people living in all these courtyards want to be able to carry in the alleyway. Uh, similar to in Eruv Chatserot, which is many houses within one courtyard, um, uh, which is what we do today. Um, but this is a second level. Even if the people in the various courtyards can carry within the courtyard, if they want to make carry in an alleyway, then they have to have a shared meal. Okay, now the one way to do it is for uh, someone to go around and collect a piece of bread from every courtyard uh, and put it somewhere, put it in the alleyway, and that way they're sharing that space. You could do it that way, but if there's a lot of people living there, then that's hard to do. Instead, and this is what we do today for an Eruv Chatserot once a year, the people that are in charge of the Eruv will take a box of matzah, could be anything, but matzah is good because it lasts a long time, and uh, one person uh, who owns the matzah will give it to someone else uh, and say, here, acquire this on behalf of everyone that lives within this boundary. And the person taking it right, has in mind, I'm acquiring it not just for myself, but on behalf of everyone. That way, everybody has a share in that, in that matzah. Um, everybody has a little piece in it. That way you don't have to have everybody in the whole neighborhood dropping off a sandwich, which would be inconvenient. So that all that works. So here's how it would work here. Uh, you take a barrel full of uh, wine or whatever it is. And, and, the, and, and uh, the person who's making, who's, who's organizing it will, um, will say, this is for everyone, right? Everyone has a share uh, in this barrel. Now, you have to, he can't just do it himself. He has to give it to someone so that someone else will take it on behalf of everybody else. Well, who can be that, that other person? It can even be um, his, uh, his slave or maidservant who are Jewish um, or his son or daughter who are adults, can't be children and can't be Evid Kena'ani. Um, those people would not be able to do it. And his wife. So a man can give it to his wife and his wife will accept it on behalf of everyone else. What do we see from here? That a wife actually can acquire something. And if you say anything that the, that the wife takes in her hand, automatically goes to the husband, then when the husband gives it to the wife, it's just he's just the same as giving it to himself, and it never leaves his domain. If it never leaves the husband's domain, then the wife does not acquire it for, everyone else, for anyone else. But here it says a wife can use it. So we have a problem um, between 
uh, Rav, uh, who was following Rabbi Meir, uh, Rav is applying what Rabbi Meir, what Rabbi Meir said about a, a slave um, um, not having a hand. Rav applies to a, a wife. And uh, so on the one hand, according to that, a wife cannot apply, uh, cannot acquire um, something for herself. That's why Rav and Amrishnah had to say that she has to already be in her mouth. Um, on the other hand, um, this source uh, says pretty clearly that a wife can acquire something. So what do we do with that? Rav will explain, even though the Bimeir said in the interpretation of Rav, that uh, the hand of the wife is like her husband's hands, and anything she acquires just goes straight to the husband. Nevertheless, Bimeir would agree when it comes to um, uh, this merging of alleyways, because she is acquiring it not for herself, but she's acquiring it for everybody else. She doesn't have to acquire it for herself, assuming that she lives in the same place as her husband. So her husband already acquired it for their home and their courtyard. But rather, she's doing it for others from her husband. So for that purpose, she has she is able to have her hand. Right In this case, it also helps that the husband um, wants her to acquire it and so is, you know, is, is, is granting her that right. Um, whereas in the case of a father giving the daughter money, the husband would say, hey, I don't want you to have your own money. I want the money. And the husband is not allowing that to happen. Uh, so here, uh, and that in addition to the fact that the woman is not acquiring it for herself, but for others, so this case is different. And so we have no uh, contradiction, no problem. Uh, hold on. This is not, not so fast. We have yet another Braita that contradicts the one, the Mishnah that we just cited. It says, If someone is making an eruv and they're in charge of it and they have a barrel of wine and they want to need to give the wine to something to someone else, so the following people can acquire it on behalf of others. It will be his son or his daughter who are adults or his maid or maid servant who are Jewish. However, the following do not work. They cannot acquire any it for other people. Um, and that's his uh, ch- uh, um, a minor son and daughter, his maiden and, and, and maid servant, his servant and maid servant who are not Jewish, and his wife, according to this, a wife is not permitted, uh, does not have the ability to acquire for anybody else. And that contradicts the Mishnah um, in the conclusion that we just said a second ago. So Rav Ashe says, okay, let me explain the Mishnah in a different way. You're right, really a wife would not be able to acquire it on her own. Um, not uh, not the money from her father and not uh, and not for shituf mevoot. So this also resolves the contradiction that we had above. Um, um, but we uh, so that so that um, uh, right so that that resolves this baraita um, this baraita which says she has no hand and uh, and the, and um, our uh, law our mishnah of the uh, of the father giving 
uh, money to the daughter, right? In both those cases, the wife cannot uh, acquire something for herself. Now, the Mishnah in Eduvin, that was assuming a different case altogether, where she has a her own courtyard in that very alleyway. A wife, it is possible for her to own her own land. If the husband gives to her, grants to her, and she has that, or has her own land, and that she alone has uh, rights over. And so, in that case, she um, she can see she has to acquire the food for herself in her in her courtyard for her courtyard. And so, since she can acquire it for herself in that case, and in that case only, she can acquire it for everybody else. Um, so she does have she does have her own property, so she can get that food, that share of the food for her own property. She needs to. It wouldn't be necessary for everyone in the Mavoy to join in. So that's the case in the Mishnah and Eduvin, and that's an ex- exceptional case where she does have her own way of getting, um, of acquiring property. However, in uh, this Beraita, which is when she does not have her own courtyard, she cannot, and that explains the opinion of Rav in our Mishnah that uh, the father would have to say, this is yours as a gift. Your husband won't get it, and you acquire it when you buy food and put it in your mouth, and that's the only way that she would be able to enjoy that food, even uh, enjoy a benefit from her father, even though the father made a vow not to give any benefit to his son-in-law. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.